Hello. Welcome to EB Chat, the exciting new podcast and place to be. We get to e-meet and greet industry players and decision makers. We'll be asking and discussing some tough questions from drivers on the street to top CEOs from major EV organizations, entrepreneurs, legislators from all over the globe. Stick around. This is a different kind of show. Let's rock it. Yes, this is a different kind of a show. Brought to you by our sponsors at 365 Pronto. Welcome. My name's Rue Phillips. I'm your host. Today's guest is Ram Ambadapudi, Vice President of Business Development and Utility Engagement at EV Connect. Ram is an active member of the electric vehicle infrastructure community, and as one of the original co-founders of EV Connect in 2009, Ram is focused on business development, strategic accounts, and advancement of the ever-growing nationwide EV charging stations. Previously, Ram was a director of large-scale renewables for Chevron Energy Solutions, now part of NG, where he oversaw a project portfolio of a 1.6 gigawatt of utility-scale solar projects in various stages of development. This guy has been around for over 25 years in the energy industry, including 17 years in renewable energy and the clean tech sector. He has a BA in economics from UCLA and an MBA from the Anderson School of UCLA. I want to give a big, warm rock and roll hug to my old friend, Ram Ambadapudi. Welcome, Ram. It's always good to talk to you, and I look forward to our chat today. Tell me a little bit more about EV Connect, Ram. EV Connect is a leading software platform for the EV charging industry. We have a network management solution that helps with pretty much everything from driver interactions with charging stations and also to help site hosts manage their charging stations and utilities to get data and intelligence from the charging stations to eventually control the load of those charging stations. Interesting, interesting. And what's your role in the company? So I'm a co-founder of the company and currently lead uh, the business development activities to the energy and uh, utility sector for the company. I know EV Connect maintains and manages thousands of EVSEs across the country. What do you think the challenges are that we face in reliability and operability of those units nationwide, Ram? These charging stations have to be as reliable as uh, drivers are used to having with their old you know, gas stations and gas pumps. Unlike the old gas station industry where the fueling stations were centralized into these fueling areas called gas stations. Ours are distributed in many, many different locations, whether they're placed at workplace sites or public charging sites or multi-unit dwelling sites. You can fuel from a range of stations, including your own home. So the challenge, I think, is for our industry to first be able to communicate with the charging stations so that we're able to detect any problems with the charging stations. The second element of that is to diagnose what the issue is with the charging stations before the need to send a truck out to resolve the issue. 
The third is to dispatch either a technician to resolve the problem or a technician to replace the station and then get the station back running as soon as possible. So those are all big challenges to overcome with the range of charge station manufacturers out there and the range of protocols and you know a lot of other things that are going on. So for the listeners that don't really understand the difference between a DC fast charger, a level three and a level two, what do you think? Is it same or worse, you know, the reliability and operability towards those big units, towards the small chargers? Do you think it's the same as far as keeping them operable? No, I think they're quite different, both in terms of the issues that could arise as well as the commitment to keep them running. The DC fast charging stations, you know, there's just more investment put into the infrastructure And in many cases, there could be a third-party owner-operator of those stations that depends on the revenue streams from those charging stations in order to sustain their business. So the level of investment that they put into the operation and maintenance needs to be higher. In many cases, there's multi-year contracts that cover not only warranty and extended warranty, but also preventative maintenance that's built into the budgets for those types of stations. For level two stations, on the other hand, where certain site hosts are providing these charging stations as an amenity to their workers or to their customers or to their tenants, there typically is not the same level of critical need to invest in the O&M budget. And as a result, there's typically you know more issues involved with the level two stations. And where we're spending a lot of effort and time to really crack that nut root at AD Connect because we'd like to see the uptime for any station, whether it's level two or DC fast charge, you know, be greater than 98% in order to meet the customer expectations. You know, that's a good point. You mentioned uptime. You and I, for a long time, were involved in the solar industry. And the installation of a solar system, specifically once it's completed, has a guarantee of 99%. If the sun is up, then this system shall work 99% of the time. That was standard with the solar system. Why have we yet to adopt that? I mean, you mentioned it. It's great. Above 98%. But most of the time, people don't get the fact if you've got a solar system and then underneath it, you have an EV charger, that charger should be working as often as the solar system. Do you agree with that concept? I agree with the concept, but it's important to recognize some very, very important differences between the two industries. Once a solar PV system is operational, whether it's on a rooftop or a ground mount or a carport, it's a passive system. There's no interaction that happens with that solar system, a solar PV system, whereas With EV charging, it's the complete opposite. It is an active system that is interacted on multiple times a day by drivers that need to come up and charge at those stations. So there's so many issues that come into play, such as user error. There's potential for more accidents. There's more potential for more communication issues between the station and the network. Those factors have to be considered in order to understand, you know, how difficult it is to get to such a high availability level compared with solar. 
Yeah, that's a great concept. Thank you. Thanks for that. The static uh, PV system versus the kind of operations that a EVSE gets. Now, you and your team at EV Connect have built a successful and robust platform. What are the benefits, if any, of open standards based on a charging network and managing that platform, Ram? We think open standards are going to play a really important role as the industry evolves and the penetration of EVs increases. The number of charge station manufacturers and the amount of models that they have put into the market is only going to expand and expand over time. And rather than each manufacturer creating a closed system that limits the number of management platforms, we support the idea of open standards such that the charging station and the software management can be separate but interconnected pieces. So, for example, today, EV Connect has certified over 17 different manufacturers to work with our management platform. So that means we can leverage and manage charging stations from leading manufacturers like ABB, BTC Power, EV Box, Siemens, and then the list goes on and on. And as you and I know from our experience in the PV industry, there will be a lot of entrance into the market, whether it's in the solar industry, it was on the PV modules and the inverter side. In the EV charging industry, it's going to be on the EVSC side. And we want to support the innovative investment into these charging stations that are being made globally and help to bring those models to the market to help eventually drive down costs and make it even that much more cheaper and easier for site hosts to deploy charging stations. You mentioned globally. Is there some interactivity? Is there some synergy of what we're doing in the States as far as standards to what's going on in the rest of the world, Ram? There are. The most important protocol that seems to be taking hold really across the globe is OCPP, or the Open Charge Point Protocol, which is the protocol through which a software management platform can communicate with the charging stations and control the station, get data out of that station. We are seeing OCPP employed really across the globe, from Europe to North America to increasingly in other areas across the world. And another important open standard that is gaining traction within the EV industry is the open ADR standard. And that is being used for load management and demand response type of programs. A lot of utilities here in North America have embraced that protocol as a standard way for them to communicate messages around future demand response events and for charge station software providers such as ourselves to take those messages and implement load shift or load shed type of uh, programs during you know, critical peak periods to help manage the grid. The one other protocol I'll mention, Rue, is a protocol called OCPI, and that's to enable driver roaming, which is a very important concept where someone that has an EV Connect app can easily charge across not only EV Connect managed stations, but those that are managed by other network managers, such as Green Lots or ChargePoint or Electrify America or, or others. And again, the focus here is on simplifying the charging experience for drivers. 
is it a competitive arena, Ram, as far as the code standards, the operability between what you do and, let's say, green lots? Is there a lot of competition? There is a good amount of competition that is here in North America, and we're seeing newer entrants emerge from Europe and Asia and other markets. I think we expect there to be robust competition in both the software side as well as increased competition amongst the EVSC hardware manufacturers. But I think eventually that's a good thing for the ecosystem as you know we'll see innovation, new business models, and costs come down over time. So before I move from operability and reliability, I'm going to put you in a position. Scale of 1 to 10, where are we, do you think, with the reliability of someone pulling up on an EV charger and one of the four not working? Scale of 1 to 10. <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably give it a 4. We have a lot of work to do in this area. Uh, a lot of stations that have been deployed were in some cases, non-network stations where you never know that something is broken until, you know, someone goes up to the station and sees it's not working. The inability to really rapidly respond to any issues with the stations, I think there's a lot of work to be done to increase that reliability factor. So this week I had a guest on the show and we were working together on the EV1 program 25 years ago, we were reminded of each other. So, you know, the dawn of the EB being 25 years ago and the new generation being 10 years, this new kickstart, if you like. Lessons learned. What have we learned, Ram, from when we started to where we are now? What have we learned? What should we be doing different? <laughs> You're so right, Bru. I think back to the first solar project I ever did in 2003, and it was with you. That's right. It was with a residential solar installation in Southern California, and we worked together on it. And I think some lessons learned are as you scale both the number of projects and the size of the projects, there's a lot to learn in terms of standardization of design in terms of ease of permitting and infrastructure installation, and then increasing the reliability of these stations. You know, in the early days, the solar inverters were always, you know, the, the weak point in the equation. And over time, we've seen, you know, much better reliability come about in that space. I think similarly, the focus from the outset, you know, for the EV charging industry has to be on increasing the reliability and dependability of charging stations, particularly given the user interactions that we discussed earlier in our segment here. So you just have to keep the driver and the user of these charging stations, whether they're individual drivers or fleet vehicles, right at the center of our thinking. So moving on to technology. You mentioned we both were working together a long time ago in the solar industry, and it was noted that someone that had a solar system on their residential rooftop typically drove an electric car. And nowadays, we're moving into solar, an electric car, and a battery energy storage system. And for the most part, they talk to each other. Do you think that the interactivity is going to come into the EV Connect kind of network where they should all be controlled by one master system or asset management system, or do you think they should be autonomous? 
Well, I think it makes a lot of sense to have the integration of solar with storage with EV charging because it increases the overall economic proposition to the site host or the residential customer. There's different use patterns and generation patterns. For example, solar, the generation profile is very predictable. Whereas with EV charging, it differs really for every type of customer segment. The workplace, for example, will see charging load predominantly during the 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. type time period, whereas a multi-unit dwelling, you know, like an apartment or a condo complex, will see more utilization from the 4 p.m. to 10 p.m. range when people come home from work and plug in. Fleets you know, depending upon their route profiles, would have a very custom utilization need for EV charging. So I think storage will play a very central role in taking the on-site generation and helping to optimize the rate schedules, the demand charge, you know, different elements. So the integration of those three is going to be important over time. Do you see EV Connect being part of the management, like peak demand from battery to vehicle to solar? Is that something that EV Connect will get involved with, peak demand shaving for the utilities? For sure. And we're doing that to a certain extent today. Just as an example, we've been participating in Southern California Edison's demand response program for EV charge management for over two years. So during periods of peak period congestion or issues, they send us day ahead instructions to throttle down the charge station load by 50%. And we're able to do that and curtail the demand charge. So that's supporting kind of the grid management piece. We also provide functions to enable site hosts to manage their own demand costs by setting a peak demand threshold at a circuit level and doing things like a load balancing of charge station load so that it never exceeds a peak demand threshold. You know, energy management is going to be a really important component of overall ROI for a lot of sites. And we certainly have features that help manage that equation. Controversy or controversy for our European listeners. Okay. <laughs> $2 billion. I'm not going to mention who. $2 billion settlement, is it being spent in the right place, do you think? You're um, referring to the Volkswagen Mitigation <laughs> exactly, Trust yeah. Fund, I assume. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> the area that I'm most focused on within that overall settlement is in the area of the light-duty vehicle segment. So I think the overall, as you mentioned, was about $2 billion. The light-duty EV infrastructure segment is about 15% of that which is still a substantial amount. And for the most part, I have seen those funds being dispersed to the states and the states putting forth programs to support a range of EV grant programs or rebate or incentive programs for the deployment of workplace, destination, public, and multi-unit dwellings charging applications. Some of the states have focused on fleet applications so, I mean, I think, frankly, Rue, I think any support that comes in from a funding perspective right now is helpful. I won't quibble over the particular decisions that each state-by-state state legislator or air quality board has made to determine the exact area, but it's all helpful.
The reason I bring it up, Ram, you know, is rather than be controversial, the incentives that some of these municipalities and governments and legislatures get, it seems like they've just got to get rid of a bunch of money. They don't seem to put a lot of thought into where that money's being spent. And people like you and I, you know, we would see better opportunities to where that money should go. I mean, installations, for example. I mean, are we putting them in the right places, Ram? Are we missing golden opportunities where the end user would require these charges? What's your thoughts on installations? Yeah, there have been a variety of approaches that have been taken. Some of them have been very prescriptive in terms of looking at the overall map of a state and deciding that, you know, every 25 miles there should be an EV charging station, whereas others have basically adopted more of a uh, let the market decide, you know, let individual site hosts decide. I actually may disagree with you slightly, Rue, and favor the let the market decide Mm -hmm. approach because ultimately the decision to deploy charging has to be at a local site, individual site level. And if the site host is willing to support the station at their site, is willing to promote the station and invest in that infrastructure, we find that it tends to be more successful than, you know, just trying to find a site within these prescribed, you know, corridors and just kind of, you know, putting it in there to check a box. So it's a very good question. And I think the goal of having charging at the right spots to reduce range anxiety is something that needs to happen. But I think it'll happen by just letting the market serve that need. You mentioned range anxiety. Do you still see that that as a key point when people buy electric cars nowadays? It is. It is. And I think it's a valid concern in an increasingly fewer amount of geographic areas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> if you're buying an EV in the West Coast or the East Coast, I don't see the need to be too concerned about range anxiety for the most part because there's a lot of investment that's being put in to cover a lot of the you know long-haul driving and highway corridor type of infrastructure. But for the most part, you know, the urban corridors have really good access. And if you think about your own driving patterns, much of your charging is going to be done at home or nearby, you know, workplaces or public charging. And so I think the industry has to communicate better to potential drivers that range anxiety is not an impediment to make a decision to get an EV. Would you agree with that? I totally would agree. Yeah. They're talking of EVs. What's your next electric car going to be, Ram? So I bought a Tesla Model 3 a, mm. a couple of years ago, and I love it. It's the best car I've ever had. I'm not a car guy, Rue. I would never kind of spend the 50, 60, 70,000 or more for a premium EV. And we're seeing some amazing models coming out from Porsche and other folks, and I applaud them for it. I'm actually more interested in the kind of mid-scale or even cheaper EV cars as they come out. We're going to be soon in the market to buy my daughter a car. (laughs) And, you know, I'd love to see really good options in the $20,000 to $30,000 range that could support, you know, 250 miles of range. And I'd love to see the car makers come out with more cars in that range. So you'll be fighting over the charger in your garage or at least have to have another one installed, yeah? <laughs> yeah, I know. That's going to be the next household uh, uh, area to fight for is who gets the charger, right? Electric transportation. 
let's talk about the big picture. You know, fleets. I presume EV Connect is involved in fleets. Yes. And I think it's just around the corner where we're going to be seeing electric UPS trucks and FedEx. Do you think the utilities are going to be able to cater for what's coming over the hill, Ram? I think the forward-thinking utilities are absolutely preparing for a future with fleet electrification. In California, I'll point to the major medium and heavy-duty fleet electrification programs that have already been approved and are active from Southern California Edison, PG&E, San Diego Gas and Electric. I think between those three programs themselves, there's close to $800 million of funding that will help to reduce the make-ready infrastructure costs on the utility side and the customer side to help reduce the cost burden for fleets. I think, secondly, there are going to be a lot more programs to support light-duty fleet electrification from just a whole host of customers that want to electrify their own company-owned vehicle fleets. A lot of utilities are actually leading the charge on that front as well, where they've committed to electrify a certain part of their company-owned fleets by 2025 and then transition up to 50% of their fleets electrified by 2030. So I do think that utilities are going to support the oncoming fleet electrification in various ways. Final question. You get a genie in the bottle. Ram, you're in charge of $2 billion. You got the checkbook, but it's got to be spent somewhere on the electric vehicle market industry. What are you going to do with the money? That's a good question. You know, Rue, you've always known that I'm interested in being kind of entrepreneurial and innovative in the clean tech space. I think we're on the cusp here of this industry starting to really scale higher. And there's a lot of factors that are coming to play, including a lot of support from the federal level. I think that there's going to be a lot of innovation in the ownership and financing space with some of the new tax credits and long-term certainty of tax credits. I think the innovation that we saw in the solar industry with the PPA financing and other things, we're going to start seeing in the EV charging space to get more money coming into this space to do things like third-party ownership or build-own transfer or leasing programs and other things. So there's a real opportunity, I think, for investment in this climate and for ensuring a high level of availability, reliability, those are the areas that I would really look at investing in. Sadly, we've come to the end of our show, Ram. It's been great having you on. I hope that we can invite you back again. Will you come back and see us? Absolutely. Love to do any time. Ram Ambadapudi, thank you so much. It's been an honor and a pleasure to have you on the show. We'd like to thank our sponsors over at 365 Pronto and thank you, the audience, for tuning in to today's episode. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe so you never miss out on the latest and greatest from the world of EVs. If you think you'd like to be a guest on the show, contact me, Rue, at 365pronto.com. That's R-U-E at 365pronto.com. Visit the show notes for more information and links from today's chat. This is Rue Phillips signing off. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode of EV Chat. Ciao. 